The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Barron's Live, our daily webcast and podcast. I'm Lauren Rublin, Senior Managing Editor of Barron's. Thanks for joining us today to learn more about the week ahead in stocks. My guest is Barron's Deputy Editor, Ben Levison. It's been a while since Ben and I have had the mic to ourselves, and we've got lots to discuss today. Right, Ben? That's right. (laughs) All right, so let's get started. I'd like to begin with your trader column in this past weekend's Barron's. As you noted, the market had its best week since November 2020. It was really spectacular. The Dow gained about 5.5%. The S&P was up more than 6%. And the NASDAQ composite jumped more than 8%, definitely out of bear market territory. But I have to ask, is this just a bear market bounce? Or do you think it signals any reason for optimism after the past few months of selling? Can I say both? No, I, this, this is no, Barron's. <laughs> we try not to do that. Um, well, I, I will say one thing. I think that it does signal some some optimism um, because uh, things had gotten really oversold. I mean, they were treating, uh, like, for instance, Chinese stocks had gotten um, whacked to the point that, I mean, you're almost at prices, they're predicting that they were never going to make any real money. Um for many of them, um, the, the whole market itself had just uh, been selling off the U.S. markets at, at such a rate that it was pretty incredible. And so when you see that kind of um, I would have been more worried if we, we didn't get some sort of bounce um, just because it, it, the, the selling has been so brutal. Um, that being said, um, I'm still in the camp that uh, this is it's not going to, to last. Um, part of what I'm weighing that on is just history is that, uh, you know, when you've seen these kind of moves after a big drop, you know, you usually do get a, a bounce in the short term. Um, they, it's possible that with this keeps going up uh, over the next few weeks, um, but it's often uh, followed by uh, giving that all those gains back um, that over the next three months, um, it, it's not great. Um, but, and, and I think the fundamentals uh, really point us in, in, in that direction right now, largely because, you um, you know, we seem to, you know, we had the, the, the two big issues are have been the Fed uh, and they've been Russia, Ukraine. It's the two events that people have been paying attention to. Right. The Fed came, they they hiked their interest rate and, and, you, and you got a, a little bit of a sell off initially, but then uh, then a bounce. And the other is that everyone's watching is, you know, Ukraine, Russia. And last week there was a lot of optimism that uh, maybe it will be resolved or if it's not resolved, maybe it'll be something that... Um, that the global economy can deal with. Um, the reason I worry is just because I, I feel like these things are really more just getting started, <coughs> excuse me, um, than they are uh, getting closer to the end. I don't um, see any sense of resolution. Right. Um, and we'll, we'll get to this in a minute. Let's, uh, um, you know, with, with, with Russia, it, it just, it, it, and, and Ukraine, it, it doesn't look like Russia wants to let up anytime soon. Um, and every, the longer it goes on, the, the, the more risks there are that things, uh, end up happening that, uh, really do shock the market. Um, and then of course, uh, there's the fed. Right. And I do want to get to that, 
because the other big news last week, in addition to the market rallying, was that the Fed finally pulled the trigger and lifted its federal funds rate target for the first time since COVID arrived. And we're not talking about a giant move here. The Fed funds rate moved up to a range of 025 to 0.50%. And we should remember that rates are still negative in inflation-adjusted terms. But its action on the part of the Fed, its acknowledgement that something needs to be done to deal with inflation, and it's more than symbolic. So the question is, what comes next? How do you see the Fed following through, and what are the potential consequences? Well, I mean, it is action, but it's probably, uh, you know, they, they've started this process too late. Um, a, a lot of this inflation, they can't do anything about Um you know, what, what, what's happening with Russia and Ukraine is beyond the control of, of the Fed. Um, and we should um, know it's, it's spurring inflation because uh, Ukraine is a big food producer. There's a lot of commodities coming from that region. And stuff is very bottled up as a result. Uh, that is that is correct. Um, and uh, and so there are things that are, are beyond the, the Fed's control. But there's also... Um, I think there there is just so much demand out there and there is so much money floating around uh, the economy that uh, it, it really has uh, made the competition for goods, for workers and things like that um, really intense. Um, and so I know the Fed, uh, you know, they want to do these uh, six or seven rate hikes this year. You know, the, the, I think that comes out to, you know, pretty close to a, one almost every meeting, not quite. Um, and, uh, you know, they, I, I think a, a lot will depend. I mean, we have uh, the, the Fed. We already have Fed governors who came out. Uh, uh, James, James Bullard, the uh, president of the St. Louis Fed, came out very publicly and said that, that the Fed should have done a uh, half a point to a three quarter point increase um, and that, that, that it's not moving fast enough. And the problem is we just don't know. We don't know the impact of these uh, quarter point rate hikes are going to be. We don't know if the um, the impact that inflation is going to have on the economy. Is it going to cause um, a recession, which is something that people are very afraid of right now, um, you know, especially with uh, the yield curve, uh, kind of the yield curve flattening at this point. Um, so th there's a lot going on here. I think the problem uh, for the Fed is that uh, I'm not sure there's anything it can do for this to end, um, for this to end well. Um, it's it, it just, uh, it, it really is in a bind. It, it, it has to, as long as uh, inflation is running at these kind of levels, um, it has to, it has, it has to, to do something. It has to do something. It has to get it under control. Um, and the, the risks are that uh, if it goes too slowly now, it'll have to go faster. And that's when it causes a big recession. Well, I see three outcomes. The Fed could really engineer a soft landing getting rid of inflation and not harming the economy too much. That seems like a magical uh, sort of outcome, not quite clear. It could fail to tame inflation, in which case we've got much bigger trouble, or it could somehow get a grip on inflation, but knock the economy into recession, as you say. Right. And or I think it's too soon to know. It, it really is too soon to know. And, you know, the, the worst case scenario is something like, uh, the 1970s. Everybody keeps talking about stagflation, and when I think of stagflation, I think and I think of the 70s. It's not what we have right now. Right now, we have inflation with some slowing growth. But you look at the job market; it's really strong. What we had in the 70s is you had this high inflation that were causing people to lose their jobs like crazy, um, and it, it was it was a really it was a much tougher moment than we are now. And so the the worry is that you end up with that kind of 
environment. I, we're nowhere near that yet, but uh, it is one possible outcome. And it's quite frightening. Definitely something to watch, and it's going to influence markets over the rest of the year. So let's get to some things that will influence markets this week. We've got an array of companies reporting earnings. Let's start with Nike, which reports today. And you're not terribly optimistic about Nike's outlook, as I noticed from the trader column. Why is that? Well, Nike, I haven't been optimistic about for a long time. Um, I actually wrote about them in the trader column uh, in September. And at that point, uh, I was worried about uh, China and I was worried about supply chain disruptions in places like Vietnam. Um, right now, I'm um, and, and that actually was not a great call initially. Um, if you look at when I made it, it actually it dropped um, right after earnings. Uh, you know, I, I picked up on the things that uh, were going to be a problem there, but it dropped and then it started going back up as people started thinking, OK, COVID is, is going to end. But it's been falling again. Um, partially, it's because of China and COVID. Partially, it's because of just the issues China is having um, with with its markets and economy generally, though it took some steps last week um, to try to boost the economy. Um, but I think the problem for Nike now is that you still have China as as an issue for for many reasons. But you're adding Europe to that. Um, if Europe, uh, if Europeans are paying a lot more for um, for oil and gas and electricity, they're going to have less money to spend on shoes. Um, and um, I, I think you're going to start seeing some impact there. Maybe not in the current quarter, but maybe in the in the coming quarters. And Nike might call that out in its guidance. And I, I think that's what people are going to be listening for is um, is what that guidance looks like. Now, everyone is expecting another decline in earnings. It's supposed to report a profit of 72 cents, and that would be down from 90 cents. But if there's a sign that these issues are going to pass, that Europe won't be a problem, that people are going to keep buying those sneakers, and that China is, is through the worst, and the political issues there over where the shoes are produced, and things like that, that has sparked a backlash, and COVID and whatnot are all um, start to seem like they're moving moving to the past, uh, then the stock could, could bounce back because North America is going to be fantastic. Um, North America, um, people are buying those shoes. Nike is shifting away from selling its shoes in places like Foot Locker to selling directly to consumers. That increases margins. But I'm not sure that's going to be enough to compensate for Europe and China. Well, I think a lot of companies selling retail in Europe these days are going to be under pressure. Yeah. So, and then it, it, one more thing on Nike is that it has yes. dropped a lot. And so when you look at the people who are optimistic about it, like what I'm saying is not a, a shock. They would agree with you. The people that have the analysts that have buy ratings on Nike would agree with what I just said. Uh, where they disagree is that it, they, they believe that it's priced into the stock at $130 a share or so. Um, and I worry that uh, it's not yet. What's the price earnings ratio? Do you happen to have that offhand? If you give me at five seconds, I can okay. definitely get it. Um, it's still uh, over. Um, it's still over twenty uh, times, I believe. I will give you an exact number as soon as my fact set can tell me an exact number. Um, let's see. I'm waiting, and so uh, right now it is at twenty nine point two eight. So it's actually at al almost thirty, according to uh, this. Is not a cheap stock. It's not a cheap stock. It maybe now, but it's not cheap. Right. And, and that's going to be the issue is, are they going to be able to say we're going to grow again? All right. We will be watching that earnings report carefully. Let's move on to a cheap stock that is Adobe, a beaten down tech stock also reporting this week. What's the outlook there? Well, this is a stock that I actually wrote about in the uh, trader column. 
um, earlier this year. It was uh, it had fallen right down to its 100 week moving average. You know how much I like looking at charts and technicals and things like that. Right. Right. Um, and it had not really broken that moving average in a very, very, very long time. And so my my thought on it was like th this company had had a bad quarter. If it can come out with solid earnings, maybe some decent guidance, and it holds this 100-week moving average, this looks like a great buy. Um, that moving average broke. Um, and it, bad it, sign. That's a bad sign. And uh, it means that I was probably wrong on it. There is optimism on it um, over at Evercore. They were talking about how it's positioned for the long term, um, uh, it, 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 that they just have a really strong market position um, in their businesses, that um, they the, the analysts thinks it is relatively um, relatively cheap um, at 24 times uh, enterprise value to uh, fiscal 23 free cash flow. Though I should note that on uh, price to earnings, it's at 31 times um, 12 months forward. Um, and but they say that the the first uh, the, the first quarter results are going to be a, the key in rebuilding confidence in the durability of high teens revenue growth and 20 percent EPS growth over the next few years. And so that's what Adobe has to show. I think in many ways it's a lot like Nike. These are expensive stocks. Um, they've been great growers. And now they're dealing with an environment where the Fed is raising rates um, and we have inflation. Um, what's that going to do to margins? Uh, are they going to be able to keep growing the way that they have in the past? And if they're not, then how far uh, do they have to come down to get their valuations to a place that makes them look uh, reasonably priced? It's going to be an issue for a lot of companies. As it, it really is. Yeah. As we go through this year, one of the big ones for the market. So next up, I want to move on to is Carnival, the cruise operator. Before I do, I want to remind our listeners that we will take questions at the end of the call. So Please type them in. Tell me about Carnival, Ben. Cruise, cruising has been a very challenged industry since COVID began. And every time they seem to hit the water again, something happens. A boat, you know, ends up with an outbreak. There's an issue. What, it is. What do you expect to hear from Carnival? Um, they're going to try to be as optimistic as possible. Um, but I came across a note from Truist. It was, it was a couple weeks old. Um, but, you know, they were talking to travel agencies that specialize in cruises, and they were also examining what they call their big data on future bookings and pricing. Um, and what they're worried about is that this pickup in demand that is supposed to happen during the second half of the year um, is not going to happen. And I, I actually think it's really interesting because you look at what's happening with airlines and they're talking about getting back to uh, pre-COVID levels, to 2019 levels in terms of the passengers and whatnot, really getting um, people getting back onto, onto planes. And I don't think we're seeing that um, on the cruise lines. Um, and it, that kind of makes sense to me. I think people want to go and see family and, and do things like that more than they want to be uh, perhaps stuck on a boat. Right. Um, and and I think that's a, that makes it a tough setup for Carnival and for, and for the other cruise operators. Um, it just, uh, they aren't, I don't think they're in the same kind of sweet spot that the airlines might be. The airline stocks are dealing with their own issues. You know, uh, actually both of them are dealing with higher fuel prices. Um, airline stocks are having to navigate that as well, but at least the demand for um, for uh, flying is, uh, um, it, it seems to be returning to pre-COVID levels. We can't say the same thing yet about uh, cruising. 
Okay, so Carnival reports on Tuesday. We'll pay attention to that. So speaking of travel, I always think of Disney. My neighbors just left for a week in Disney World. And the public is really coming back to Disney World, Disneyland, and the theme parks in droves. But investors are not coming back to Disney stock. It's down almost 30% in the past year. Some of that owes to setbacks, I believe, in the streaming business. Now there's some management controversy surrounding the new CEO, Bob Chapek. Any thoughts about how all this will play out and what the outlook might be for Disney shares? I mean, I would like to think that um, the stock is going to uh, start doing better at some point. I think we, um, uh, Nick Jasinski had a, a trader item actually about this or, or an article in the magazine. I can't remember which one a, a while ago, uh, just actually I shouldn't say a while, I think a few months ago. Um, and and you look at what's going on with with Disney and and what happened. It, it was kind of a at one point it was a stay at home play. People were buying it on the assumption that when COVID ended, people were going to go back to the parks. But it also had this streaming play that was going very very fast. Um, so it was um, also uh, kind of a uh, it was a reopening play and it was a stay stay at home play and it was doing great. And then. All the both those theses, theses um, were, kind like of, <laughs> were kind of were kind of knocked out of the water at the same time. the The growth in the streaming business slowed down. They didn't have these uh, as many new shows coming out uh, to really drive people uh, to get people to get their subscriptions. And COVID didn't go away. Um, and so Disney's has been working through these, and uh, we know now that they're getting a ton of people. Uh, their their revenues at the parks are doing very well. I think they even may be back close to pre-COVID levels. Um, the streaming has new shows coming, um, so things are looking better there. But at, as you point out, things aren't perfect. Um, there's, as you said, the management issues are um, there are plenty of them. One of the big ones is relocation. Um, uh, CEO Bob Chapek wants to move uh, people to Florida um, executives, and that, that uh, doesn't seem to be going over very well with a, a lot of employees. Um, and then Florida has this uh, this law, um, um, which uh, would uh, prohibit um, uh, talking about, uh, um, I think, saying the word gay is uh, the way that it was presented. Um, as um, uh, uh, between kindergarten and third grade, and there are other things in there, and that's gotten many of the employees very angry, and they wanted Chapek to speak out, and he really hasn't. Um, he didn't speak out forcefully at the beginning. He's apologized now for that, but that's caused issues as well. Um, so you have those things going on. You also have some issues at the theme parks, where one of the ways they've gotten the revenue to come back is by, um, you know, charging the same price but for less. Um, and um, that that's made a lot of uh, longtime uh, Disney park goers uh, unhappy. Um, complaints about lines and things like that. Um, and so you just have this this feeling over Disney right now that just things aren't you know aren't great. Um, that they're that they're just trying to feel their way through what admittedly are just a ton of issues. I mean, this is uh, Chipek took over at basically the worst time that you possibly could. Um, which also means that Bob Iger stepped away at probably the best time that he possibly could. <laughs> that was his best trade ever for him. Yes, it was. It's like, hey, look what I did. Everything's great. Yeah. And then you walk away. Um, so I, I, I honestly don't know. I think, uh, you know, it pays a decent or actually it doesn't pay a dividend. There's some hope that it will reinstate that at some point. But I just think that there's still a lot of uh, worry hanging over the stock at this point. And our call to, uh, to you know, that it looked reasonable, uh, you know, that it looked like a good buy certainly hasn't paid off quite yet. 
Well, we don't get them all right, but it is a fascinating story, and it definitely touches a lot of parts of the economy. And and now, of course, it touches issues of management and politics and so forth. So Disney is definitely one to watch. I want to move on to the housing sector for a moment. Mortgage rates are rising. That has implications for home sales. KB Home is going to report this week. We're going to get some other housing data. Let's start with those rising mortgage rates. Where do you see them leading? And how do you think this will affect the the housing market? Well, we're already over a four percent, and you know that with these kind of prices, um, it makes it the higher the rates go, the harder it is to to be able to afford them. It makes uh, the 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 housing uh, affordability issue uh, even more extreme. Um, Well, theoretically, prices would come down as mortgage rates. Right. Exactly. What you would what you would expect to see is some sort of offset there. Um, you know, you can't uh, you have to bring the price down in order to be able to pay the uh, um, pay pay those mortgage rates, the monthly uh, the right. monthly payment. Um, and, and so that that's basically what uh, the folks over at Gavacall were um, were saying that, you know, as long term treasury yields go higher and they probably are going to go higher. I think the last time I checked, uh, the 10 year was up to um uh, 2.25% or so, maybe it's 2.24, wow. but uh, it's it's really moving up. And these aren't high historically, but they're moving up very quickly. Um, and they're moving high. They're probably going higher. And that's going to pull uh, mortgage rates up with them. And that means that the costs are higher. It's going to make inflation problems worse. And they say it's Time to it took it's time to uh, it's basically a call time on the mini boom in housing. Are there in housing construction? Those are their words. Um, that uh, you're going to see uh, construction go down. It's going to weigh on GDP growth. And for investors, that means that you want to uh, buy not home builder stocks, but you want to buy residential real estate investment trusts. Interesting. That's good to know. But we do have a a residential builder reporting this week, KB Home. What do you think we'll learn from them? Well, I, I think we're going to hear, um, I, I think we're everyone's going to be listening for how these the increase in mortgage is impacting things and what their plans are going ahead. They're still growing earnings. Um, they're supposed to report a profit of $1.54 a share up from uh, a buck two. Um, and, you know, that that, that uh, you know, their earnings are great. It's going to be that forward-looking thing. Are they going to have to slow down um, the sales of houses? Or is demand going to be lower because of these uh, higher mortgage rates? And this is going to really be, our, I think, our first read on, on what's going on um, from a home building stock. Mm-hmm. So that's definitely one to watch. Very much so. So I want to get to a couple of listener questions. We've got some good ones coming in. Both Jim and Christopher have asked about NVIDIA, which I believe has an analyst day this week. What is the outlook for the company? Um, This is one of those real toughies uh, in my mind. Um, I I say that because, um, you know, it's obviously a a fantastic company. Um, It is uh, it has its chips in everything um, from, you know, video games to uh, to Bitcoin mining, uh, it's in cars. I mean, they, they just, they are a One great, of the great company. growth companies of the past 20 years. Really, They really are. Um, I mean, it's just a fantastic company um, and it's been a fantastic stock um, and it's pulled back quite a bit, but even after pulling back, it's still trading at uh, 45, uh, almost 46 times forward earnings. 
Um, so it's not a cheap stock. And my worry here is that with interest rates continuing to rise, that valuation will have to come down and that will that could offset um, the earnings growth that it's going to have. Um, and that's really the bind that growth investors generally find themselves in is that, uh, you know, these stocks have just really high price tags. And it was very easy to, um, you know, to, to justify them when interest rates were zero and inflation was benign. But it gets harder once you get to the point, once you have uh, the Fed raising rates and inflation running as hot as it is. The good thing about NVIDIA is that they they are a very profitable business. Um, and perhaps that can um, offset things somewhat, but uh, I, I do worry about it. Well, they're they're profitable and they're very flexible, but this is what happens when you have an 11 year bull market and zero interest rates. That's right. Prices get very, very expensive. Very expensive. And then, and then the shock comes. So we have a question, a couple of questions about commodities, which I think is a, a good topic at the moment. Julian asks, how do, what's the best way to invest in copper? Um, I, I think it's probably the, um, uh, the mining stocks. Um, they, that would be uh, a stock like Vale, the Brazilian miner? Like vale, vale is one, um, Rio Tinto, um, and, and, and things like that. Um, there are also um, ETFs, uh, commodity ETFs that uh, you could buy. That those are always um, a little weird. Um, you know, most of the time they're using um, uh, they're using derivative contracts rather than they're using futures to um, be able to. Uh, um, well, they're making a bet on prices. Right. Exactly. Um, and and you don't really have a. Uh, a, a fund like uh, GLD, which owns gold, that owns copper, um, and, and another option is something like the um, the, the Spider S and P Metals and Mining ETF, which is XME. Um, you know, it's had a, a pretty big run though um, recently uh, as well. But I do think that uh, this pullback that we had uh, um, in commodities, um, both in, in oil, uh, we had a brief pullback last week in oil and commodities was, was probably a, a decent time to be buying these. It was a pause that was necessary. Um, and that, you know, if this is really what you, if you really want to play copper, um, that's the mining stocks that are probably the best way to go. Good advice. So Thomas asks, and I think this is a big question for the commodities rally, is this rally over or is it just getting started? Where do you think we are in the bull market run in commodities? Um, I I do, do not think it's over. I do think it's going to be volatile, like we saw last week, um, that commodity prices, um, but it does feel like we've moved into a uh, uh, in, in, into a world where these are going to be in short supply. One of the reasons uh, commodities generally, um, for in, in terms of the hard commodities, like uh, the, the metals, we haven't been mining uh, very as much. I haven't been investing in mining. And uh, that's going to probably need to happen. Um, and we'll need to mine more until we get that mining coming back. Uh, there you know, might be more demand than there is supply. Um, I, I think with oil, um, we're, we're seeing that as well, that, uh, you know, oil went negative uh, in the futures market. Um, and, and now it's, it's, it's rallying higher. And uh, for a long time, people, no one wanted to touch an oil stock. Um, 
And now it's it's kind of people are all realizing at the same time, well, you know what, we need oil and maybe we need these oil stocks. Um, so I, I, I don't think you want to chase them. Um, the, the kind of thing that you maybe uh, look at to buy on the dips when you can when you've identified one that you like and uh, um, you can get it at a uh, you know at, at, at a price that uh, seems reasonable. Um, but I do think these are something that we're going to be wanna, we're going to want to watch for um, for uh, you know for more of a, a medium term view than I would normally take. Mm-hmm. So look for your entry spots. That's right. The advice there. So Tom asks a question related to this. What do you see happening with renewable energy stocks? Will higher fossil fuel prices and geopolitical events increase investment in renewables? I think so. I mean, we're already seeing um, some of this happening in um, in electric vehicles. Um, I I can't remember where I read it. I wish I could. Um, But that uh, there was a survey done that showed that more Americans are um, interested in getting electric vehicles right now. Um, and, uh, I mean, of, I would say, of course, um, you know, they're, uh, they, they are cheaper, um, than, uh, it, it is cheaper to drive them right now than it is a, a gas powered car. Um, though there are also issues with them as well. Um, but, uh, and I would expect the same thing, that if the high energy prices are sustained, then yes, people will look for alternatives to oil and gas. Um, you know, there's already been a lot of sticker shock on people's um, bills for, for, electric, for electricity and for gas uh, this winter. Um, and, and I suspect at some point you're going to have people looking at alternatives like, uh, like solar um, and, other, and other options. But at the same time, you could also have more drilling because we clearly need more oil and gas. That's right. I, I mean, I think uh, clearly you need both, right? Um, right. We're going to need more oil and gas and we're going to need people moving to um, alternatives. Um, you know, I, I don't think any solutions to this is a one or, is a one or another option over the next few years. Right, right. It's development along both tracks. Yeah. So Howard asks, based on your recent comments, how bad do you think bonds will do in the near future? given Fed rate hikes and what your comments on the 10 year and so forth. Um, they've already done pretty bad. Um, <laughs> right. um, I, 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 so I, and I think they, a lot will depend on, on the credit cycle here. If uh, you know, the Fed is forced to raise interest rates too quickly, you could end up with, um, you know, having to worry about uh, defaults um, that uh, companies need to go and refinance and they find that they're having to refinance at much higher levels. Um, the good news with that is that companies did extend their, um, uh, extend the loans that they have, that they've taken um, so that uh, the, the near term risk is, is lower and there's time to work these things out. But I think that's the, the big thing uh, you have to worry about. And also just, you know, general things like recession, but the Fed has done a good job of trying to make sure that the credit market is running properly. And for now, um, despite how poorly bonds have done, um, that's been more in line with the adjustment to um, to, to where uh, the Treasury yields are rather than uh, it is blowing out on of the uh, the spreads um, to Treasuries. Um, you know, usually bonds are priced uh at a certain amount over an equivalent treasury yield. And those have widened out a bit, but not at a, to a point that signals a crisis or anything. But um, I, I just think bonds are in a tough spot for a while that uh, um, I, I, I mean, I can imagine um, a lot of ways this plays out, but none of them are with uh, 
bonds doing spectacularly. Um, and so I'd, you know, keep the durations short um, and uh, try not to, um, you know, not to expect the kind of uh, returns that we had over the last uh, decade or, you know, actually over the last 40 years, really. I was thinking about that. How greedy does one want to be after a 40 year bull market? Yeah. So things do tend to revert. They do. So, I want to close by asking you about Warren Buffett. We cover him closely at Barron's. Our colleague, Andrew Barry, is our resident Buffettologist, as I like to call him. Buffett has announced he's buying Allegheny, the property and casualty insurer. He knows the company well. He knows the CEO well, who used to work at Berkshire. Is this the big deal that we were waiting for Buffett to do? Is this one of several big deals he might do? And is it a good deal for Berkshire Hathaway? Um, this is not the big deal. This is uh, it's big enough. Yeah. It's big enough. I mean, for for Berkshire though, it's not very big at all. It has uh, it has so much money. I think it's. I please don't quote me, but I think it's around 140 billion. I think you're uh, right that they're sitting on in cash. Yeah, and that's you know, so that they can they can make some really big deals. I don't think this is it. This is more. Uh, it seems to be more them buying a company that really operates uh, uh, very similarly to. Um, to, to Berkshire, um, Andrew Barry, who uh, picked uh, Allegheny um, as a stock, um, I think in November, um, called it a mini Berkshire. And so it, it's kind of the thing that you could just absorb into uh, Berkshire Hathaway fairly easily. And you also get a um, some management that really knows kind of the Berkshire way and would fit in quite well. Um, so I think it makes a lot of sense for them. The price seems right. Uh, Andrew uh, actually thinks the price is great for Berkshire and less so for Allegheny uh, shareholders. Um, but uh, going back to the idea of is this the big one? I don't think so. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's uh, it just seems more like a smart kind of uh, uh, a, a smart acquisition that could uh, be, you know, folded into the current Berkshire. Um, it, you know, Andrew has been talking a lot about uh, whether Berkshire would buy Occidental Petroleum, and we'll keep an eye out for that one. And uh, but I, we know that he's very price that Buffett is price sensitive. Um, and well, he's uh, been he's been buying up Oxy stock. He has, he has, and and that, and Andrew thinks that uh, he will buy the rest at some point. Um, but we'll just have to wait to see on that one. I like what he said about Allegheny. That it, Buffett said it will that Berkshire will be Allegheny's permanent home. Yeah, that's sort of a nice thought. Anyway, we'll leave it at that then today. Thank you so much. Lots to think about in this market and very lots of so. action beneath the surface for sure. So thanks very much. And thanks to our listeners. Please join us again tomorrow when Market Watch reporter Chris Matthews speaks with Samuel Cherub, senior political scientist at the Rand Corporation. They'll be discussing the impact of sanctions on Russia and on the global economy. Should be an interesting call. Thanks again, everyone. Stay well and have a good day. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.